Now, we'll just agree as I start here that if I get the church giggles because that pop keeps going on, there's just nothing we can do about it. I, I, I started in ministry when I was 16 years old playing in a band, and, and we would travel around and do these things, and we would deal with sound system little gremlins all the time. So I just learned to laugh at them now because there's really nothing you can do about it. If it is incredibly distracting to you, sorry, it's not to me. It just is funny. There's nothing we can do about it. But it added a lot to your song. Those moments of just emphasis there was, was so good, so good. We're going to be in Galatians, if you want to open your Bible there, the first chapter of Galatians. And we're continuing our series called Reach Out. And that's one of the things that our church, and every church, honestly, but our church is called to do. We're, we're called to reach out. We're called to reach out to the community around us. We're called to reach out to the world around us. We're called to reach out to our neighbors, our friends, our relatives. We're called to be people who take the gospel and we share it with other people. And a question just as we start this morning to think about, we talked about this a little bit last week, but just as a reminder, where has my story connected with God's story? That's just a, that's just a question to think about. Where's, where has my story connected with God's story? Well, what does that mean? What are you talking about? Well, for some of us, it means that there was a moment in our life where we came to the realization that God's way is best, that Jesus Christ did die on the cross for, for my sins, and I've come to that point to accept that his way and his life is better than the one that I could do on my own. And, and so I come to that point where I accept that and I begin to, to live for him. Other ways that our story connects with God's story is when we see what God is doing in the lives of people around us, where, where we get to be touched and blessed because God is working through someone or he's working in someone and we're in contact with that person. We, we begin to connect with the gospel story. Sometimes God's story is easy to connect with just because he's left us the Bible and we can read it. We can know it. We can begin to know about his character, his actions, his love for us, his plan for now and for the future. And, and so there are so many ways that my story can connect with God's story. But here's, here's something that happens. When your story in some way connects with God's story, it, it naturally leads to a question of, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> now, now what do I do? Now that I've come in contact with this, now that I've connected with God's story, what am I supposed to do now? Because so many times we have these ways of thinking or this understanding, and when God comes in, he totally changes that perception, and, and it causes us to come to a point where we now have to make a decision. The story in John chapter 9, if last week was the, was the context of my message. I would encourage you, if you missed that, you can catch that on our website. But it began with the fact that people had a lens that they were viewing life through. And people, even, even good, godly people who were following Jesus were asking the question, what went wrong so that this man might be born blind? And Jesus answered the question by saying, nothing went wrong. This happened for a purpose and a reason that you don't know anything about. And so that's one of those things that, like I said, when you come in contact with God's story and you begin to see the things that he's doing and they make absolutely no sense to you, it causes you to come to a point to go, I have to reprocess. I have to think about this. What do I do now? 
And so in Galatians, we see, we see a little example of this. In Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6 is where we're going to read. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read God's word today. Galatians 1, beginning in verse 6. Paul's writing to the church and he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, and so now I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you already accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can be seated. Paul is writing to the church in the area of South Asia, Galatians. And here's what had happened. He had gone there on a missionary journey. He had established a church. And the church was established under the gospel being the good news of Jesus Christ. He went and shared the good news of Christ that Jesus Christ had paid the penalty for our sins and we can receive the free gift of grace from God and we can restore a relationship not by anything that has been done on our own works but because God loved us. One of the verses that we quote a lot here at First Baptist Church is Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the example and the foundation on which the church had been established that it is by God's grace that you are saved, not by works, not by anything that you had done, not by something that you had deserved or earned, but by the free gift of God because he loved you, God saved you. And so what was happening then at this point in time and why he would write such a letter. A little side note on this. There's little trivia things that I find out in studying that I go, that's kind of interesting. Out of all of Paul's letter, when you read him in the New Testament, this is the only one that he doesn't start by giving thanks for them. He's mad. <laughs> you ever been so mad for someone you just can't say, I'm thankful for them? Because all his other letters, hey, I'm thankful when I think about you. This one is just, let's just get to it. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why you've, you've, you started this and now you're going a different way. And Here's what's happened is that some people had come in and they've started trying to answer that question that I asked earlier. Okay, we've intersected with the gospel. Now what do we do? And so some people came in and they started saying, well, here's what you have to do. You have to follow this rule. You have to do this thing. You have to add this to it. You have to do one of these. You have to do three of these. And they started adding all these things to the gospel so that the people started following these rules and these regulations that were taking them far away from the original gospel message. And Paul, had, Paul wrote so much to say, what you're following isn't the gospel at all. It's 180 degrees different from what you were brought up in of what we started this church in. So he's upset. And he's saying, who, who got in on you? Who's, who's doing these things? And so he's so passionate about this that you can see that he, he even writes at the end. Sometimes, have you ever had to stand in front of people and say things that you know is not going to win you a whole lot of friends, but you've got to say it anyway? 
And that's where Paul was. He said, look, am I, am I trying to please you now? Or am I trying to follow God? I'm saying things that are hard. I'm saying things that are probably going to make you not want to hang around me a whole lot. I'm saying things that are probably going to be difficult for you to hear, but they're necessary for you to hear because they were taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were adding all these things to it that were making it lose its power and its effectiveness. You see, we don't have to add anything to the gospel for it to be powerful. It's powerful on its own. It was powerful long before you were here, and it'll be powerful long after you're gone. And that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, God's story has the power. My story is the proof of that power. And think about that. God's story has the power. My story is just simply the proof of that power at work. When, when my story intersects with God's story and my life changes, Boom. And I behave differently. And, and my life, be, and people begin to look at my life and go, something is different. Something is, is changing in him. And you know what? I'm so thankful that even as an adult, as I've continued to grow and mature and understand God's word and be around people who love me enough to shape me and mold me, I'm a different person today than I was five years ago. I'm a different person today than I was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, because the power of God's gospel never wanes. It continues to shape me into the person that he's calling me to be. Sometimes I want to go back to people who knew 25-year-old Lindell and just go, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm real sorry. I'm sorry. And I was a Christian, been a Christian then for almost 20 years. But I still needed to go, hey, wow. You know, there were some things I was learning along the way. God's story has the power. My story is just proof that that power is real. And so that's why together they are powerful. Together they are powerful. You, you know, when you just tell your story, so we have some wonderful storytellers in here. We have some people in our church who are wonderful storytellers. We say all the time they should write books, they should do things. But when you just tell a story and you don't connect it to God's story, it's just a good story. It's not real powerful. Might be entertaining, might be emotional, but, but it's void of power because the power is in God's story. But when you can take your story and you connect it to God's story and say, I'm this way and I've gone through this and this is how God's led me through it, that's powerful. That's powerful. That causes people to go, I've got to think about this. I've got to process this. And here's what we need to realize about, about the gospel story. See, God not only saves us from our sin. God didn't just die on the cross to save us from our sin, but he saves us to abundant life. You see, we, we say that I'm, I'm walking on my own, I'm going this direction, but when I give my life to Christ now, I'm choosing a new direction, I'm choosing to follow Christ. I was walking this way, I'm being saved from my sin, but now I'm walking to something. And so we, we see that God offers to everyone the same opportunity. We can follow him. We can choose to lay down our own way of thinking and we can choose to adopt God's way of thinking. And when we do that, we understand and we know that God's way is best and we begin to see that abundant life well up in us. The more that we choose to lay down our life and follow God's way, the better that becomes. And this is exactly what Paul was dealing with in Galatians. You see, the common thread for every person that has been saved, that has given their life to Christ, 
is that we have seen the power of the gospel story. We've seen the power of God's story come into our life through the grace of God. Not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, not because we worked for it, not because I was born into it, not because I'm American, not because of anything else. It is because of the grace of God that he came into our life and gives us the opportunity to follow him and to be saved. And we did nothing to earn it. And listen, this is what Paul was talking about. And we can do nothing to earn it afterwards either. We are saved by grace. And that eats some of our lunch. Because you didn't do anything for it and you can't do anything to keep it. And some of you go, that doesn't make any sense. No, it absolutely does. When you get given a gift, you didn't do anything for it. You can't do anything to earn it afterwards. But sometimes it causes us to have a different response in life. So think about that. It's only natural that when, when somebody does something for us that's so nice, that's so different, that's so overwhelming, it is natural for us to want to respond to that gift. You see, we need to learn to share our experiences. Listen to me real quick on this. We need to learn to share our experiences in these connections with God's story with other people and understanding that they're growing our relationship. We need to share them in such a way that we believe that God's done something in our life very specifically, but it's not necessarily supposed to happen in their life in the same way. Did you catch that? We need to learn to share what God has done in our life and how God's story has intersected with our story. We need to learn to share that with other people without the expectation that it's supposed to happen in their life the exact same way that it happened in ours. Because this is what was happening in Galatians. People were saying, well, this is how God interacts with me, so this is how he's going to interact with you. So we're going to write the rules of following God. Amen? Here we go. Rule number one. And they just started writing the rules, and this is how you do it. But it doesn't always work that way. The way God saves you is unique, and it's a path to an abundant life for you that is unique as well. If you follow the same steps that I follow, you might not necessarily get the same place that I got. Because you're wired different, you think different, you were brought up different. There's differences in there, but the common ground is the grace of God in our life. We can't take our life experiences and our life learnings and place them as a burden on someone else. We can share them and show them a path and say that God is at work and God brought me from here and he's led me to here and this is how he did it. But the moment that we say, now let me give you the seven steps that God will do that in your life exactly as well, you better be very careful. Because now you're putting on somebody something that is quite possible in addition to the gospel message. Can we agree that God has permission to move in any life any way that he wants to? He didn't meet all of us at a burning bush, but he met Moses there, right? He didn't strike all of us with blindness and lead us to be his disciple. He did that to Paul, right? He didn't. He does things different to intersect with different people. And we've got to be real careful then as we learn and grow. Yes, your story is powerful. Yes, God's story is powerful. Yes, you have something to share to other people. Yes, you have something to teach to other people. Yes, you can love on other people. But to expect them to experience God the exact same way that you do is to limit the greatness of a God that is a creator and created each and every one of us 
with a different purpose and a different call and a different goal to love him and fulfill the abundant life in such a way that brings glory to God and purpose to our life. I wish I could just line you up after church and go, all right, Kevin, this is God told me you're supposed to do these things. And that's going to, all right, well, listen, you're next and God's going to do the, I don't have that. I don't have that. And anybody that says they do, I would go, hmm, that's interesting that you think that. We would have to have a long conversation about some of those things. Let me say it this way. There's a quote. I'll put it in your bulletin. We'll read it. It says, legalism is when one person imposes his or her standards on another person. But imposing those standards on yourself is not legalism. It's self-management. Now think about that. God's called me to do something. He's called me to let go of something. He's called me to hold on to something. He's called me to do something one way. He's called me to not do something another way. He's called me to parent one way. He's called me to lead one way. He's called me to do this. And when I do those and I take God's word and I apply it to my life and I live it out the way that God has called me to do that, that's self-management. But the moment that I take those things and say, now that's absolutely true for me, so it's absolutely true for Tim. And it's absolutely true for Bobby. And it's absolutely true for everybody. That's legalism. That's saying that God can only work in your life the way that he worked in my life. Now, don't get lost in this. Do you teach people your experiences? Yes. Did God call some of us to be teachers? Yes. Did God call some of us to be prophets? Yes. Did God call some of us to be leaders? Yes. Is there a structure and organization in God's world? Absolutely. If you don't see that, you're blind. There's those things that are there. There's leadership. There's submission. There's doing all these things. But there is not a pattern that says this is how it goes every time. As a matter of fact, I believe that if you read Scripture from cover to cover, you'll find out that just about the time somebody thinks that they've figured out what God's going to do, he goes, oh, let me show you this. I can do it left-handed too. I can do it behind my back. I can do it without even touching it. I don't even have to be there for this to happen. God is a creator, and he continues to work, and he moves in different ways in people's lives. We have something to offer to that story, but we have to be careful not to overimpose our ways of doing things on other people. Does that make sense? You catch that? So let's look. This is what Paul was dealing with, is that people had overimposed their ways of doing things. They had taken the grace that God had given, and they had started to add all these rules that were weighing it down and making it anything but the gospel. What's the danger in that? The danger in that is that people can learn behavior. They can learn when to sit, when to stand, how to act, what to say, what to do. And they can look like something that they absolutely are not, are not. We don't want amen. Amen. See there? God loved that one. And so we need to be careful not to do that same thing. We, need, we want them to connect with God's story so that God can change your life and do new and creative things. So let's look at this. I, I want to tell this story before I go on. There was... A, I've told you this before. Some, some things I, I preach because I believe them. Some things I preach because I know them. And the difference is whether I've actually experienced these firsthand or not. Well, God truly got a hold of my life uh, in my teenage years. Uh, my young teenage years, I, I was heavily influenced by my youth group and those that were around me. And the things that we were doing, I knew God was stirring something up in my life. I knew that at age 16, I was called to ministry and God was leading me down that path. And as God was doing those things in my life, I just assumed he was doing those things in all of my friends' lives as well. So I was an early adopter of being a pastor and feeling like I needed to share with everybody what the truth of the Lord <laughs> was sharing with them. 
So when my friends started making decisions for their life, I felt my need to go and share my opinion about all their, all their things that were happening in their life. And they were biblically based and they were coming out of love and my experience with God and how can you do this? And pretty soon I sat there one day and went, why don't I have any friends? And I'm not lying. One day I sat there and literally I felt like Elijah now with my little pity party hanging out in a cave going, I'm the only one following you, God. I'm the only one that gets this. And it's kind of like God leaned into me and said, no, you're just isolating yourself from what I'm doing with everybody else's life because you've got such a narrow view on how I can work. And it was just kind of like, whoa, wasn't that interesting? Because I was as legalistic as I could possibly legalistically be. I think I've shared this before. I was, I was so caught up in this, you know, it has to work this way and things work like this. And when, and when I do good, God loves me and good things happen. When I do bad, God hates me and bad things happen. And it was just, that's not true. That's nowhere biblical. I just thought I would tell you that. But I think I've even shared it. This I've, I honestly would stress if I didn't have my quiet time that morning and had a basketball game that night, I thought there was a correlation between number of points scored and number of pages read in my quiet time. You want to talk about being legal? See, God even still tell me that was dumb. But you want to talk about being legalistic? That's how legalistic I was. I had to learn that God doesn't work that way. God doesn't move that way. I've got to give God permission to move in different ways. And I found myself alienating myself from people who really cared about me and who I had the opportunity to just continue to show the love of God to, but I wasn't showing them the love of God. I was showing them my rules and my understanding of how God worked. And I was actually pushing them further away from God than I was drawing them close to him. Now catch that. Because I was passionately pursuing what I thought was godly and what I thought was right. And I took it on myself that I've got to share this with other people. And I started placing on them burdens instead of pointing them to God. And I learned that early on in life. And so it's uncomfortable to be in a place where you give God freedom to work because we like to be in, what's that word I'm about to say? Ooh, see, I didn't even have to write it in a blank or anything. We like to be in control. But we have to lay down and say, God, you're in control of this and see him work. So let's talk about this. My job is to love. God's job is to change the hearts and lives of people. My job is to love others. God's job is to change their life. So let's look at what the true gospel is. Let's not talk about the, the bad gospel or what these people were doing in Galatians. Let's look at what the true gospel is. The first thing, the true gospel is grace not works. You've heard me say that a lot today. The true gospel is grace, not works. We do nothing to earn salvation. It's a gift of God. It's bought through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we do not, and in fact cannot, work our way to heaven. There's absolutely nothing we can do to earn heaven. Grace of God is what gets us there. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came so they can have life and have it to the full. There's a difference there. God does that because he loves us. He just gave it to us. He does it for his glory and for our good. And that's what it's there for. All right, well, if it's grace then, pastor, and it's not works, well, then why bother doing anything then? Why can't I then just live my life however I want to live my life then? I have an honest answer for that question. You can. 
That's the honest answer to that question. You can. You can choose to live your life any way that you want to live your life. But if God has given me this free gift, then can't I just enjoy it and do whatever I want? Well, you can if you want to do that. But let me answer that with this next point, the true gospel. The true gospel is not just grace, not works. It's also response, not requirement. Response, not requirement. What do you mean there? Well, God has done something so incredible in my life. I can't help but respond to it. I don't carry it as a requirement. You've, have you gotten gifts with strings attached before? I want to give you this as long as you... See, every time I make a good point, he's talking to it. I'm going to give you this, but you're going to have to do these things to keep it. I'm going to give you this, but boy, if you do this, I'm not going to be happy. Do you want those gifts? Those are the gifts in life I go, here, you just keep that. Thanks. I don't want that gift because that gift is too hard to enjoy. But the gifts that you get when somebody just hands you something and you go, that's, that's for me. Yep. Enjoy it. What? I, I'll never forget, I've told you all this before, that at one point in time, stop it, at one point in time, somebody actually bought Julie and I a car, brand new, brand new car, like go to the park, go to the car lot, we're writing a check for it. If anybody would like to do that again, I'll be here at the front. Um, but it, it was awesome. And there came the point in time when it was time to sell that car. And I remember, I said, I... I I just feel like I've I got to call this person. I got to talk to them. I'll never forget what that person said. I called them and I said, hey, I just want you to know this car has been awesome. We really appreciate it. A different stage in life, different things going on. This, this car doesn't meet our needs anymore. We need, to, we need to look at a different thing. And on the other end of that phone, I will never, ever forget what she said. She said, that's your car. It's not my car. You do with it what you want. I gave it to you. You don't have to call and ask permission to do anything with it. It's yours. And I, thanks. It's just like, wow. You want to talk about no strings attached and just this feeling of freedom. And so what was awesome is because it was that way, not only did it help us have transportation for a season, but it helped us do other things in life because, you know, you get a gift like that, it keeps on giving. So it's a response that we have to God, not a requirement. It's not a gift with strings attached. We are supposed to do for others because God did for us. God set an example of how to experience abundant life. You give yours away. That's the example of how you experience abundant life. You want to experience abundant life, then you lay down your rules, your rights, your opinions, your way of doing things. You just lay it down. and You just give. You just give it away to others. And he set the ultimate example on the cross for us. We respond to what God has done for us because it's a natural response of a grateful heart. When your heart's not grateful, you can't freely give. Think about that. When your heart's not grateful, you cannot freely give. When your heart's not grateful, there are always strings attached. When your heart's not grateful for what God's done for you, you will naturally put requirements on other people to earn your love which is exactly the opposite of the gospel. Exactly the opposite. And this is what Paul is saying. The more that you continue to put requirements on people on the free gift of God, 
the more you're perverting and ruining and taking the power out of the gospel. The gospel freely gives, and it leads us to a response, not to a requirement. God will not make you live in his way. You you catch that. God does not force us to live in his way and follow his rules. He will never force you to do that. He patiently loves you and waits for you to discover that his way is best. You know why he does that? Because then when you do that, it's genuine. And your actions will be out of a response for his love, not out of this feeling that I better do this or God's gonna squish me. And that's the relationship that God wants you to have. So the gospel is a response, it's not a requirement. But there's one more thing about the gospel. And like I said, your story of intersection with God is a powerful example of what the true gospel can do. But it's not the pattern for everyone to follow. So the true gospel is God's words, not my word. God's word, not my words. God's word, not my words. We must always point people to God's word, not our story. When we are sharing our story, I'm going to tell you what happened. We, and I hope to do some, I hope to capture stories because they're, you have the most powerful stories in the world that would be life-changing and life-giving to people. And it's my desire that we begin to capture those and share them with people because you have more to teach people than I can do on my own ever. But I have seen and I've experienced places where we begin to capture those stories. And it's kind of like Ananias and Sapphira, if you're familiar with that story in Acts where everybody started giving to the church and they wanted to be like everybody else. And so they gave to the church, but they gave with the wrong heart, with wrong motives, and they lied to the church. And so God struck them dead. Wonderful heartwarming story there in Acts that you can see. Um, but I've been in places too where people start to share their stories and people get caught up in sharing the story. And they so badly want to have a story that they just start sharing their stories, but there's no connection to God's word. And then it loses its power. See, we always have to take time for our story to connect to God's word. Let me just say this. If God's doing something in your life right now, but you don't necessarily know how it's going to pan out in the end, be be patient. Be patient. Share what you know. Share with someone, man, this is where I'm in the process. And I, I, man, I'm making good points. He's saying, and I'm in the process and God's doing something. I don't necessarily know where this is going to end, but I know God's in control. That's That's a wonderful thing to share. But I want to, I want to point that out. Our story has to be attached. If not, it's just a biography. And boy, there's some interesting biographies out there, but they're not life-changing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I wanted us to point out one thing, though. I want you to look at verse 10 with me real closely. Verse 10, Paul kind of gets to this point where you can tell he's a little, he's a little frustrated. He says, look, am I, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? And here's, here's the key thing. People... Sometimes miss this. Look at this. If I were, what's that next word? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Don't let that go unnoticed today. Paul himself admitted that there was a point in my life when I was trying to please people. I'll stand in front of you and admit that there have been points in my life when I was trying to please people. You could probably stand up and admit that there have been points in your life when you're trying to please people. But Paul in this moment says, look, with all this going on, I'm about to say 
what God's led me to say, and wherever it ends, it ends. Such a good point. It is impossible in this world. Listen to me. It's impossible in this world to follow Christ and please people. It cannot be done. You cannot fully follow Christ and then please everyone. They don't go in the same place. Paul even writes so much to say that if you are trying to please people, you will not please Christ. The two do not go together. This is a very difficult part of following Jesus. You will frustrate people who have expectations of you that are different than the ones that God has called you to do. However, when you think about it and you understand that it's impossible to please everyone, the question you have to ask yourself is very simple. Who do I want to please? Who do I want to please? And so at this point in time, Paul had been pushed to the point where he said, I'm going to please God if it costs me everything. If you don't even read the rest of the letter, you just need to know that I'm going to please God with the words that I say. So the right choice for us is to know and trust the creator. Learning to live, listen to me, learning to live in the uncomfortableness of knowing that you will not please everyone is part of growing up and being mature. Learning to live in the uncomfortableness of knowing that you will not please everyone is part of growing up and being mature. And it doesn't mean you disrespect other people. It doesn't mean you put down other people. It just means that you have to understand that God has called you to something so unique that you need to follow it and you need to do it. And if others don't get it, they don't get it. They don't follow it. Now, some of you hear that a couple of ways. Some of you hear that as permission to go out and go, dadgum, right, I'm going to go live how I want to live. No, 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 you're missing it if that's what you hear me saying. But when you are so convinced that God is calling you to do something, you need to follow it. There's a right way to do it. I want to close with some thoughts about that, okay? God calls us to love everyone and to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Golden rule. So that means that there is a right way to disappoint other people. Think about that. There is a right way to disappoint other people. When they have expectations, desires, and things for you, there is a godly way to frustrate them, to let them down. And a godly way, if you will, it's the way that trusts God to fill the gaps that you couldn't fill even if you tried. Sometimes, here's what that means. Let go of the situation and let God lead it. Living for yourself, it's empty. Living for yourself is empty. It, it amounts to nothing. You get to a point where you go, this isn't fun. Living for others, that's impossible, <laughs> isn't it? That's impossible. I am your pastor and I cannot please all of you. Amen? Amen. You should get a huge amen on that one, all right? I mean, that's just the truth. That's impossible. But living for Christ, that's everything. That's everything. And the way that you determine how you're going to respond to others needs to really center on one thing and one thing only, whether you believe that they're following God or not. There is a story in Acts 
where the disciples are following Christ and they're causing some issues in the community and they bring them in to the religious leaders and they're trying to determine, what do I do with these people who are following God? They're causing us trouble. And there's a very wise man in the council that stands up and he, he writes these words. He says, therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their activity or purpose is of human origin, then it will fail. But if it is from God, you won't be able to stop them. You will only find yourself fighting against God. Parents, that's some good parenting advice. If God is working in the life of your child, get out of the way. Let God work. If what your child is doing is of human origin, then guess what it's going to lead them to? Failure. Failure. But we so badly don't want you to fail. Maybe God does. But if what they're doing is from God, then who's going to fail? You are. Because you're going to be standing in the way of God and what he's doing in their life, and it's going to be a tough struggle. How about employee? If your company seems to be leading in a way that you don't understand, how about this? Let it go and trust that God can take care of it no matter where it leads, if you will just do the job of following him. Same thing is true in your family. Same thing is true in your church. Same thing is true in your driving. Same thing is true in your school. Same thing is true in anything. If it is something that's coming from human origin, it will fail. And so just give it time to fail. But if it's coming from God and you're standing in its way, I don't want to be standing in the way of God. And so our best response at times is just back off. Hey, man, I'm making good points. Back off and let it work. Because if you're standing in their way, then you might be standing in God's way as well. If things that others are doing, they're doing because God has led them to, you're going to find yourself fighting against God. Now listen, remember John chapter 9? The first question was, why is this man blind? Because he sinned or because his parents sinned? And Jesus' response was neither. They looked at a situation and said, this situation makes no sense and it's got to be wrong. And Jesus said, no, everything about this is right. You may be looking at situations in life and family, in church and home and school and everything going, this is wrong. This is wrong. It doesn't need to be this way. It has to be totally different. I got to stand up against this. I got to stand in front of this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And God's going, would you stop? And would you let me handle it? Because the more you stand in the way, the longer it takes me to work. You want to know why? Because as long as you stand in the way, people see you as the problem. But when you back off and say, hey, I'm just going to love you, and then it's all on their own, and they fall on their face, then who do they have to blame? Themselves. And it's at that point in time that people come to God. But the more that we stand in the way of other people's failure, boy, what a great sermon. The more we stand in the way of other people's failure, the more we get blamed for it and they miss what God wants to do in their life. So get out of their way and let God work. And this is what Paul is saying. He goes, look, I'm out of the way. I'm just going to say what God has to say and I'm going to move and I'm out of here. So if you really want to see change in the hearts and the lives of others, give them God's words and not yours. God's words and not yours. 
Just close with this thought. What's my next step with God? You can write that down in the blank. What is my next step? What's my next step with God? Would you bow your heads with me? I believe God is calling each one of us to a next step. I believe God is calling some of us to take that next step of letting some things go that we've been holding on to for a long time. I believe that God is calling some of us to a next step to taking a stand on some things that that we've felt that we couldn't take a stand on for a time. I believe that God is calling some of us to a next step of confessing him as Lord and Savior and giving our life to him today. But God is calling each and every one of us to a next step with him. If you have the ability to breathe in and exhale, God is calling you to a next step today. And you need to determine what that is. I want to pray for you. And then our response time today is about you responding to God and determining what that next step is. Our pastors and staff will be here at the front if you want someone to pray with you for that. This altar will be open if you just want to pray or maybe you want to take time just to reflect where you are. Hal's going to play a little bit on the piano and then we're going to sing a chorus together. But that time is time for you to respond. But I want to pray for you that God will lead you to take that next step with him. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. And God, I pray that we would clearly know the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the grace that you've given us that we don't deserve. It's the life that we can have that only you can give. And I pray you would give us the boldness to follow that. God, I pray you would allow us to let go of control of our life and allow you to move in an incredible way that only you can. So God, I pray for the boldness today for people to make great steps toward you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.